0: We're going to be in Mark 12 this morning, picking up where we left off. We finished up Mark 11 last week, praise the Lord. Mark 11 was kind of a heavy chapter, and there were some things in 10 as well that were kind of heavy, and, and Mark 11 was heavy. There were some, by heavy, I mean some serious topics that, 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 we, that we dug into, uh, that we spent a little time on. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, I was thinking about candy bars when you, you go to the store you know to buy a candy bar you got your regular candy bars you got your king size candy bars and you also got your your fun size your little bite size and sometimes sometimes you want a normal candy bar sometimes you want a big candy bar and sometimes you just need a little bite size snack if i were to describe uh, mark 11 as a candy bar i would say it's a king size there was a lot of there was a lot there for us to eat on uh, and we spent a lot of time uh, talking about some of the serious topics that were there. Uh, Mark chapter 12, on the flip side, uh, will be more of a bite-sized type thing. There are lots of short little things that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 12, and so uh, we will dig into those today. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff we'll talk about. Uh, oddly enough, the, the passage today in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, uh, speaking uh, of Jesus' Telling a parable about a vineyard owner is the same passage that Brother Thomas used this morning. So we, we get this, this story twice today, day. Uh, but it's a good story, and I think that there are some good things we can learn from this passage. So let's pray, and we will jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for these good words. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would take away any pride or any fear uh, that I have, any distractions. God, that I would hear clearly from you this morning that you would speak clearly through me, that your Holy Spirit would control the words that come from my mouth, and I pray, God, they would be for our good. Dear Lord, we are here to bring glory to you. We are here to bring glory to Jesus Christ. We are here to grow in your word. And so, God, I pray that we would hear your word today, that we would let it apply to our life, that your Holy Spirit would would work on us, uh, t- uh, let us see things in our heart that maybe shouldn't be there, and, and bring correction where we need it, and encouragement where we need it. God, let us Not forget that you love us and let us let us be glad to be in in this place and in your word today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark chapter twelve, verse one, Jesus is about to speak in a parable here. Now, last week there was a group that came before Jesus and questioned his authority. By what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? Now, these events are occurring in the last week of Jesus' life. He had, uh, two or three days before this, uh, he had come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and since he had come into Jerusalem, he had caused a bit of a stir. He had gone into the temple complex. Uh, There were people there that were buying and selling and trading and just not really respecting God's temple at all. And so Jesus went in and turned the money changers' tables over, and he called him out and, and ran him out of there. And so he had already caused a bit of a stir since he had uh, come into Jerusalem here for this final week of his life. And, and he had been causing a stir for three years. And, and, and this group came to him in the passage that we looked at last week at the end of Mark 11. And they said, look, what, who gives you the authority to do these things? Jesus being clever, however, uh, doesn't, doesn't give them an answer, but leaves their question unanswered because uh, they refuse to answer his question. Uh, the real key to that passage, I believe, is that there was no answer that Jesus could have given that they would have listened to. There was no amount of authority that Jesus could have proved to him that he willed it. Even though he was the son of God, they were refusing to accept that truth. And so Jesus refused to answer their question. And so on the heels of that, uh, we see Jesus begin to tell a parable here in verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from the farmers. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another slave to them and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. They beat some, and they killed some. He still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Because they knew he said this parable against them, they were looking for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, this is a powerful parable that Jesus gives, and one that that if we've spent much time in Scripture and studying Scripture, we can really begin to see the the connection that Jesus was trying to make here in this parable. Now, Jesus uses parables to use some life situation or circumstance that, that, that people would be familiar with, And then he applies a a spiritual teaching to it so that they can take something they know in a worldly sense and they can understand a spiritual truth that he is teaching them. Now, in this case, the parable starts off. A man planted a vineyard. He plants the vineyard. He puts a fence around the vineyard. He puts up a watchtower in the vineyard and he digs out a wine press in the vineyard. So the man has done all of the work. He has done all of the work necessary. He He has... caused this vineyard to grow and be beautiful and to produce crop, to produce fruit. He's even put a fence around it to keep the animals out. We understand that. Anybody that's ever planted a garden or maybe even flowers, you may have to put some kind of protection there. The animals will come. They'll destroy your crops. They'll destroy your flowers. So you got to put protection. So the, the vineyard owner made protection. He even made a watchtower a watchtower that someone could stay in and keep watch, perhaps for animals, perhaps for other enemies that may come so that they could see if there was danger and they could keep the vineyard safe. And he dug a wine press so that, so that the, the, the grapes that grew, whatever grew in the vineyard, could be pressed down and wine could be made in the wine press. So the owner of the vineyard had done 100% of the work. The owner of the, venue, uh, of the vineyard had put uh, 100% of the effort in and it was all... The, the, the owner of the vineyard's vineyard. But the owner of the vineyard said, look, I'm going to give this vineyard to other people. And so it says that he leased it out to tenant farmers. Now, a tenant farmer is someone who will stay on the land and work the land. And part of their comp- compensation may be, okay, if you work my land, I'm going to provide shelter for you. I'm going to provide uh, food for you. I'm going I'm to take care of you. And, and, and you do this, and your payment will be that you will be taken care of. Perhaps there was some, some kind of salary that is involved or some payment from any fruit that was produced may go back to the tenant farmer, uh, but, but the one who owns the farm is the one who gets the proceeds of the farm, the one who gets the benefits of the farm. After all, the owner of the vineyard is the one who put all the work in and who started the vineyard. But for the tenant farmer, that's a pretty good deal, right? You don't have to worry about any bills. You don't have to worry about anything of your own. And you've got a cool piece of land that's essentially yours. You can live on it. You can take care of it. You can be taken care of. And it's a pretty good trade. You may not be making a big paycheck, but you don't have any expenses. So it all works out for the good. And so Jesus has set up the parable for us here. We have the vineyard owner who has done all the work and the tenant's, who the vineyard owner has brought in to take care of the property and to produce fruit and give this fruit to the vineyard owner at the proper time. But as we see in verse two, at harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from its farmers. So this would be a natural thing. There's going to come a time where the fruit is going to be produced and the vineyard owner is going to want to get that fruit and so he sent his slave down, thinking, okay, my slave will run down. He'll get the fruit that's been produced on the vineyard. But those who were in the vineyard, the tenants, had another plan. Well, they didn't want to give up any of the fruit of the vineyard, so they decided that they would take care of the slave. They beat the slaves, they kill the slaves. The man kept sending slave after slave, and they refused to give the fruit of the vineyard to these slaves. So what is the vineyard owner going to do? Man, he's provided everything possible for them. He's given them everything that they've needed. He's given them a place to stay. He's provided for their need. He's provided for their safety. He's given them a watchtower to keep watch over all the enemies. They were completely provided for, and they were in a good and safe place. All they had to do was was work for the the farmer. All they had to do was work for the the owner of the farm, and all would be well. But not not for those who leased... The vineyard, not for the tenant farmers. They didn't want to give anything back to the owner of the vineyard. They wanted to keep the vineyard for themselves. They wanted to do things their way. They didn't want to answer to the vineyard owner. And so when the vineyard owner would send slaves, they would simply beat the slaves. They would kill the slaves. And they did this time and time again. Now, obviously, the vineyard owner was pretty, was pretty patient. You'd think after the first slave or two, he'd come down there and he'd said, let me tell you what's what. But he didn't. He was patient. He sent slave after slave, and they refused to listen to the slaves. So finally, the vineyard owner said, what what else can I do? I'll send my son. Surely, my own flesh and blood, my own son, when they see that the vineyard owner's son is coming, they they will straighten up. They will listen to my son. And so the vineyard owner sends his son. But he received the same welcome as the slaves before. They killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now this is a pretty powerful story. But this story connects with the point that Jesus was making to the people of his day. You see, God is the vineyard owner. God is the one who has created everything that there is. He has created this world. He has given us food to eat. He has given us clothes to wear. He has given us water to drink. He has given us air to breathe. Everything that has been created and been provided that we live on has been provided by God and God alone. We took no part in our creation. We take no part in in us being sustained. It's all by the grace of God that we are able to live life and be sustained because God has provided for us. And so it would seem natural for us to praise God, right? God has been good to us. Therefore, let us live for God. Now, we're not growing great, but we are supposed to produce fruit. All right, God has been good to me. God, you have been gracious to me. God, I want to serve you and live for you. I want to do what you say is right. I want to love other people. I want to take care of those who are in need. God, let me produce that kind of fruit in my life. That's the kind of fruit that God wants to see in our life, that God is pleased with when we are producing fruit. And it's fruit that we give back to him when we give him the praise and the glory for being the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. But God's people didn't do that oftentimes. We have an old Old Testament to prove to us that that was the case. God was good to his people in the Old Testament. For hundreds of years, he was good to them. He provided for them. He gave them a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He helped them to overcome their enemies. They had everything they possibly could need. But they refused to praise God. Sure, they'd worship Him a little while, but it didn't last long until they would begin to question God and complain about God and be disobedient to God and worship other gods. So, what did God do? Well, in the Old Testament, He sent prophets. Well, He sent lots of prophets. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the people. And the prophets prophesied. Listen to God. Turn to God. God is going to bring judgment. God is going to bring wrath. Bad times are coming. But repent. You're doing this that you shouldn't. You're doing that that you shouldn't. Repent. God sent lots of prophets to the people. There are Lots of prophets in the Old Testament we can read and see exactly what they said. But guess what? The people didn't listen to the prophets. Now these tenants that were were running this farm, these slaves are like the prophets of the Old Testament. They're the ones that God sent, and God sent, and God sent, and God sent, and God said, surely, surely these people will understand, surely they will listen to the ones that I'm sending. But they refused to do so. This is acknowledged in a couple of occasions in the New Testament. Once in Matthew chapter 23, verses 30 and 32, Jesus said, And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. You, therefore, testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the med- measure of your fathers' sins. Wow, that's pretty strong language, right? And this same group that Jesus was addressing in Matthew 23, could be some of the very same people that he is addressing in this passage today. These people who said, Oh, if we would have lived back in the Old Testament days with our fathers, we would have surely listened to the prophets. We wouldn't have killed the prophets. And Jesus said, No, you're no better than your fathers. You're sons of murderers, and you're just like your fathers. You're just like those who came before you. They wouldn't listen to who God sent, and you're not listening to who God sent either. In the book of Acts chapter 7, this is a great chapter for you to read. It's a, it's, a, it's a sermon that was preached by Stephen early on in the church, not too long after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And man, this is a great chapter. If you if you got time this re- week, read it because Stephen, he brings it to them. Of course, they don't want to hear what he says either. But he says in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 and 52, "...you stiff-necked people." with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even kill those who announce beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. So Jesus had already said this in his ministry, that they were no better than their ancestors that came before them. And these same people nailed Jesus to a cross, and Stephen calls him out. He said, you stiff-necked people, your hearts are so hard and so dark, you are just like your ancestors. You killed the righteous one. You put Jesus to death. The one that God had sent to bring the message of hope and salvation, the one in which salvation is found in, and him alone, you put him to death. Jesus was telling us all this in the parable in Mark chapter 12. Those who were tending the land refused to listen to the slaves. And so what did the the, the, the vineyard owner do? He sent his son. Well, what did God do? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Surely the people of the world would listen to the Son of God. Surely when they saw the miracles, when they saw that he drove out demons, surely when he spoke with authority and clarity, surely when he showed compassion, surely God said, my people will listen when I send my son. But they didn't listen. They didn't listen at all. They constantly called Jesus out. And their best attempt, attempts to try to trip him, try to get him messed up, try to trick him into saying the wrong things. But Jesus was far too wise for that. He was far too smart for that. But even still here in this last week of Jesus' life, he's trying to get the people to understand. He's trying to present this message in a way, listen to this, understand what's going on. Look Look at this vineyard owner. Is the vineyard owner in the wrong? No, absolutely not. He's not in the wrong. Should the people have killed the slaves? No, they shouldn't have. Should they have listened to the Son? Yes, they should have. But did they? They did not. They refused to listen to the Son. Now, we also see this story in the parallel accounts in Matthew and in Luke. And you can go back and and read those passages there. Now, in the Mark passage, uh, Jesus asked the question, uh, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do now in mark's passage jesus answers that question himself he will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others and some of the other passages uh, and one of them i don't recall which one the 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 those in the crowd who are listening to the story they 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 respond in that way they understand they get it What's going to happen, Jesus said. Well, what's going to happen, they all acknowledge. Well, those who the vineyard owner has put in the vineyard, well, he's going to take it away from them. They don't deserve to be there. He put them in the vineyard, and he can take them out of the vineyard. So the crowd obviously understood what Jesus was saying. And in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 22, or excuse me, Luke 20, verses 15 through 16, uh, we see this. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, that is, the son that the vineyard owner sent. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But Luke records a response to the crowd listening to this parable, and here's what they said. But when they heard this, they said, No, never. Now, that's pretty interesting, right? That seems like a pretty defensive response. Why would they... Why would they be so defensive at what Jesus was saying here? Why would they be so defensive at this parable? And Jesus said, look, the vineyard owner is going to take, take this vineyard and those who are in there, and he's going to take the vineyard away from them, and he's going to put others who are more deserving who want to be in the vineyard in the vineyard. And when the crowd heard this, they said, never. Now, we know why because we see it at the end of the Mark 12 passage. And it says in verse 12, because they knew he had said this parable against them. They knew it was about them. Boy, can you imagine how they must have felt when they heard Jesus say this parable? They already hated Jesus. They already were looking for a way to kill him. And then Jesus comes and he tells this story about a vineyard. But what he's really telling is a story about God's people who refuse to live for God and listen to the Son of God who he has sent to save their soul. That's what the parable is really about. And the hearers of this parable said, Whoa, this parable is about us. Never will this happen. No will this happen. So, they were looking for a way to kill him. They had been looking for a way to kill him, and they were still looking for a way to kill him. Couldn't find a good time to do it. The crowds were there, the crowds loved Jesus. So, they kept working on a way to try to shut him up. Now, they knew that Jesus' words spoke against them, they knew it. They understood what Jesus said. And they still rejected it. Now that's foolishness. If that doesn't show a hard heart, I don't know what does. Now let's think about ourselves for a moment here. Hopefully we read God's word. Obviously we're here today listening to God's word. Does God's word ever speak to us in such a strong way? We read God's word and we know when we read it, golly, Jesus' words are talking about me. That horrible evil, that sinfulness that Jesus is talking about, that's me. That's in my heart. That's in my life. Well, that's good if we feel that. That's good if we hear that message and understand that message is speaking about us. But then we have to decide what we're going to do with that message are we going to listen to it? Well, the people of Jesus' day that heard this parable, they were not going to listen to it, even though they knew that they were in the wrong, even though that they knew that they were the sinful people, even though at any moment they could have said, Lord Jesus, you are right. We as your people have disobeyed God. We have not listened to God. We have not followed God. Lord Jesus, we repent. We come to you. We seek you. We know that you are the one that God has sent, and we come before you and ask for forgiveness. That would be a proper response, by the way, for you and I. It would have been a proper and acceptable response for the people who heard this parable. But all oh, they were so angry in their heart, they were so hard hearted, even though they knew Jesus' words spoke about them, they refused to listen to his words. Jesus taught toward the end of his ministry about the judgment that was coming on his people, about the judgment that was coming on Jerusalem, but the people refused to listen. God said, Look, I'm going I'm I'm to let others into my kingdom. Look, you, you, Israel, are my chosen people. I'm coming to you first. The Messiah is coming to you to tell you that the one, the God of the Old Testament, the one who he has been pointing to, the ones the prophets told you about, the one whom salvation is in, the one whom deliverance comes through, this is him. This is it. This is your chance. This is the only one you can follow. Jesus Christ. And Christ was sent to his people. And many of God's people. Rejected the Savior. God says, I'm giving you a chance. You get get first chance. You're getting the message first because you're my people. And those of you who accept my message will remain in my kingdom. But those of you who don't want to listen to my message, I'm throwing you out. I'm throwing you out. And I'm opening up my vineyard to others. I'm opening it up to everybody. I'm opening it up to the Gentiles. I'm letting my word go to all the ends of the world. And anybody that wants to come into this kingdom can come into this kingdom, can come into this vineyard, can come into this place of safety and provision that I have set up for you, this place of security. Anyone can come there. And you, children of Israel, can remain here if you will follow me. But if you won't, I'm taking you out of the vineyard and I'm letting others come in in your place. And that's exactly what God did. Many of God's people refused Jesus. But there are many Gentiles that came after who have followed Jesus. And anyone who would repent could come into the kingdom even still today, whether Jew or Gentile. Anyone can enter into the kingdom, but you can only enter into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. And if you refuse to enter into the kingdom through Jesus Christ, then you refuse to enter into the kingdom. Now, I don't know what you want me to preach to you today. I don't know what you want to hear. I don't know what you want me to tell you. I don't know what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to tell them. But I'm going to tell you the same thing that Jesus told them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That's all I can tell you. That may not be what you want to hear. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear that. People of Jesus' day, some of them didn't want to hear it. They wanted to be better than God. They didn't want to submit to God. They didn't want to listen to God. They didn't care that God had provided and taken care of them and everything they had was of God. They refused to acknowledge that. They wanted to do things their way. They wanted to live their life the way they wanted to live their life. They didn't want the God that they had They wanted a different God. They wanted a God who would allow them to do anything they wanted to do and get away with anything they wanted to get away with and never punish them for anything at all. That's the God that the people that Jesus is speaking to wanted and many people of the world today want. They don't want a God who holds them to a standard. They don't want a God that says there's a right and wrong. They want a God that says everything is right and you do whatever you want to and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's what many people in our world want today. But I'm going to tell you, a God who will allow you to get away with anything and not hold you to a standard of right and wrong is not a God at all, but a devil. And many people in our world today are following the devil, but they have deceived themselves into thinking that they are following God. And this very group that Jesus is addressing may have been guilty of that. Oh, they thought they were godly people. Oh, they thought that they were that they were doing good stuff. But they weren't. They were living for the devil. They wanted to live the way they wanted to live. They wanted to do the things that they wanted to do. They didn't want to build a life on God. They didn't want to build a life on the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. They wanted to build a life on what they wanted to build a life on. But that's not the way life works. We can't build our life on anything of our own because we have nothing of our own. We have what God has blessed us with and everything we have comes from God. And that's what we build our life on. That's what we must acknowledge. That's what we must know. That's the truth that we must know. And when we read God's word, we don't want to be like these who heard this parable and said, yeah, I know this is speaking about me, but I don't want to hear the truth. And so I'm going to shut the truth up. I'm going to kill the truth and I'm going to throw the truth out. There are many people in our world today that want to shut the truth up and want to throw the truth out, but I got bad news for them. The truth cannot be shut up and the truth cannot be thrown out because the truth will reign for all of eternity. When we read God's word, If we see that it's speaking to us, we need to respond properly. Not with an arrogant attitude that wants to remain in sin, but with a humble heart. Not with an attitude that says, I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to succeed in life, and I'm going to do it without God. And I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it when I want to do it. When we do that, we're on the path to disaster. So we need to refocus, right? The people that heard this parable of Jesus needed to refocus. They had got so caught up in their self and in their way and their hatred of Jesus that they were missing God and they were missing the message of God and they were missing the very Son of God. So maybe we need to refocus this morning and we need to see what we're aiming for in life. We need to see if we're producing fruit for God or if we're producing... Fruit for ourselves. Producing fruit for God, we're producing good fruit. Producing fruit for ourselves, we're producing rotten fruit. We may not realize it right now, but it won't be long. It'll start to smell and stink, and it'll mess up our whole life. So maybe we need to refocus our minds and our hearts this morning. Say, okay, God, your word is serious and it's tough, and sometimes it says things I don't like, but God, let me hear what I need to hear. And God, let me repent of those things. Sometimes we get so focused on the world, we're aiming for the world's goals and the world's successes. And that's good enough. Oh, I'm doing really good at my job. I got a promotion. That's great. That's what I'm going to aim for. I'm going to aim for the top position at my work. I'm going to aim for great grades in school so that I can be the best student. Maybe we need to aim a little lower. Maybe our focus doesn't need to be on our work. We need to aim a little lower. It doesn't need to be on our school. Maybe we're focused on getting a lot of money in our bank account so we can be secure in the future. We're gonna work hard, our aim, our goal, make lots of money. Maybe we need to aim a little lower. Maybe our goal is to have a big church with thousands of people so that the world will look at us and tell us how good we are doing. If we get lots of people, we've met our goal, right? That's what we're going to aim for. Maybe we need to aim a little lower. There are all these things in this life that we aim for that we consider to be important, that make us successful in life. Maybe we need to aim a little lower. And if you keep aiming low enough, eventually you'll go as low as you can go. You aim low enough, eventually you'll be standing with nothing. What do I do now? I don't have anything to aim for. When you're standing with nothing to aim for, aim a little lower. Maybe it's time to get on your knees. Maybe then you're still too high, still think too highly of yourself. Maybe it's time to aim a little lower. Put your face on the ground before God and pray out to Him. And when you get that low and you raise your eyes and you look, You're at the foot of the cross. And that's a pretty good place to be. You see, we aim high for things of the world. We try to find successes in things of the world. And I'm not telling you not to try to be successful in this world. I'm not telling you where I want you to finish. I hope everybody's successful in work and school and money and everything. I want everybody to be successful in those things, and maybe your life will finish successful in those things, at least in a worldly sense. I'm not telling you today where I want you to finish. I'm telling you today where we need to start. And we need to start by aiming low and being humble, and start at the foot of the cross. And when we start there, we're on the right track. When we start there, we will be where Jesus wanted these people to be, to know that God has provided everything, that God has given us everything, and it is God who is in control, and it is God that we worship. It is not ours to say, we run this world, we do it the way we want to. It is ours to say, God, you are great, and we humble ourselves before you in your greatness, God. That's what it's ours to do. And that's what Jesus wanted these people to do that he told this parable to do you see they were trying to build their life on things of the world and doing things their way and they didn't care about god that all they had was from god and through god and for god they cared about themselves but what they were building was something that would surely fall they were building a life that could never sustain the troubles of the world and certainly could not sustain eternity So Jesus said, God sent one. I want to remind you of the one that God sent, the one that Psalm 118 says is the cornerstone, that God was going to send a cornerstone, that everything in the kingdom of God was going to be built on this stone that would not crumble, that would not crush, that would not move, and anything that was not built on this stone would not survive. And Jesus said, the one that God sent is the cornerstone is the one that you rejected. Jesus is the cornerstone, by the way. I don't know if Jesus is the cornerstone of your life. I hope he is. Maybe you've built your whole life on things of the world, on worldly successes, on worldly views, on what you want. Maybe today God's convicting you of that. And if so, it's time to tear those things down. It's time to aim a little lower to get on your hands and knees and to cry out to God and say God I repent to go to the foot of the cross and to lay out all of your sins and all of your failures and all of your fears and say Lord Jesus I need you because Jesus is the cornerstone and when we humble ourselves before Jesus we begin to build a new life a better life we are a new creation and everything that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ it will stand brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ It will stand if we stand on Him. He spoke these words in this parable and the people refused to listen. I hope that if you have heard the words of God today, if you are convicted of sin in your life today, that you do not reject what Jesus says, but that you humble yourself before Him and that you build your life on Him. You don't aim for things of the world, but you aim for the cross of Jesus Christ. When everything that you do is built on Jesus Christ, you will succeed and you will never be torn down. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Thank you for these good words. I pray that we hear them, not just these words, but all your words. When we read them and listen to them, God, if they speak to us, let us respond. Let us repent, dear Lord. Let us see that everything that you have done and will do is built on Jesus Christ. And only that that is built on Jesus will succeed. So, God, I pray that maybe if there are some that have been living for the world, maybe they know about you, dear Lord. These that heard this parable, they knew about you, but they weren't ready to follow you. They were still wanting to do things their way. God, I pray today that if there are any that are listening to this, that they won't be guilty of the same thing. God, that we will stop trying to do things our way and that we would lower ourselves, that we would humble ourselves before you, dear Lord, that we would come to the foot of the cross, that we would find the cornerstone in Jesus Christ and that we would build a new life in him. So God, I pray that you would just let us come to you. If there are some that are struggling, God let them repent today. Let them seek you. God, maybe there are some that are yours and they just maybe there's something in their life they need to they need to work on. Help them to work on it, dear Lord. Help them to seek you, help them to trust you, and help them to grow in you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.